You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we have the UFC 270 in Ganu versus Gan recap and analysis, along with a breakdown of all of the recent fight announcements throughout the past week or so. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, all right, all right. I wasn't sure I was going to get an episode out today because I figured maybe it would take a little bit longer to break down the UFC 270 card and just everything that transpired last this past weekend. But, you know, I figured let's just get it out. I mean, it's better to get it out now because if you wait too long, then people are already on to the next one. And we have a week break between UFC 270 and then the UFC fight night. Let's see. What's up next? It's Hermanson versus Strickland. So Sean Strickland, Jack Hermanson on February 5th. That's the main event. Uh, aside from that, they've got Dawadu versus Trezano in the featherweight division as the co-main event. That's a good fight, definitely. I'm not exactly sure why it's the co-main event. Maybe it's just an error on Google. But aside from that, I believe... I feel like there's more fights on that card. Uh, let's look that up, actually. There's no way that that's... Hold on. Let's see. There we go. Maybe it is that. That's the only part of the card. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't see... Ian Heinish was supposed to face Sam Alvey. Uh, There was a couple fights scheduled that didn't go through. So, uh, Miles Johns versus John Castaneda... Sam LV versus Phil Hawes. That's a good fight. There it is. That's the one I was looking for. Shavkat Rachmanov, who's a huge prospect in the UFC in the 170-pound welterweight division. He's going to be going up against Carlston Harris. That's a good fight on the card. I think that was the one I was thinking of. Then you got Sean or, uh, Steven Peterson versus Juicy J. Julian Arosa. Another good fight. That's going to be in 145 pounds. So, you know, not a bad, not a bad card. Uh, good main event, definitely. I think they. It's kind of funny because they give Jack Hermanson all these main events, and then you know, recently he's just been kind of shit in the bed. And he's a good fighter. I'm not gonna lie. Like, yeah, he deserves to be in the position that he's in. He got that quick heel hook submission against Kelvin Gastelum. He got uh, that Joker team submission, I believe, against David Branch. He's got a few good wins on his record. Like, he's solid. He just recently fought in a freestyle wrestling competition against Hamzat Chemaev. And, uh, you know, he did okay, but Chemaev kind of just ragdolled him at a certain point. But that doesn't mean that Hermanson didn't get some good work done. You know, he made Hamzat Chemaev work, which is, you know, more to say than anybody he's fought in the UFC so far. So, excuse me, you got to give the guy credit where you can give the credit. So, um, but let's just get into what just happened this past weekend. I mean, there was a huge story going into UFC 270 that, Nganu had not re-signed with the UFC. He wanted a bigger deal. Um, he didn't want to get paid $600,000 maximum to win his championship fights. He said he deserves more money, whether it's walking away from the UFC, fighting Dana White for a new contract, or you know moving over to boxing. I know he has expressed some interest in going over to boxing and maybe having a fight with Tyson Fury. Um, for financial reasons, I think that's a good idea, but for career longevity, which I don't really think he's looking for longevity at this point. I think he wants to make the most money 
in the quickest possible way that he can. And that is probably going to be done with the boxing that that's going to be exactly where you want to go. That's where you want to go to make the most money. I mean, look at Conor McGregor when he went over and fought Floyd Mayweather. Did he win the fight? No. Did he look good? Hell yeah. McGregor looked great against Mayweather. I don't care what anybody says. Um, he, he put up a hell of a fight. I believe he landed more punches than Manny Pacquiao and somebody else against Floyd Mayweather. So, you know, you can't really say anything bad about that. I know it was a few years ago, but you know, it is what it is. And with Nganu, he was going into this fight. A lot of people believe that the undefeated interim champion Cyril Gan was going to be able to pick him apart from, from distance, you know, be able to land those jabs, switch stance over, switch stance straights, you know, switch stance uppercuts, all that kind of stuff. They thought that for sure he was just going to be able to stick him on the outside, keep a jab in his face, keep those kicks in his face. Um, you know, piece them up with combinations and just, you know, pick them apart for five rounds and eventually either get a late finish or get a decision. Um, if you were on the Nganu side to win, it was mainly, you know, probably off of a counter as Gan was backing up and was circling against the cage. It was off of a counter when Gan maybe overextended on a straight shot and then got countered with that beautiful left hook that we've seen Nganu sharpen up over the last few fights, mainly showcased the best in that title winning performance against Stipe Miocic at UFC 260. But, um, you know, Nganu showed a wrinkle to his game that we got glimpses of in the Miocic fight. If you remember the Miocic fight, Miocic went for a takedown. He went for a head on the inside single. Got, or uh, Nganu was able to stuff the takedown, spin to his back, get to that referee's position, and land some brutal ground and pound. And then eventually land strikes off the break like a beautiful uppercut from the clinch. And that led up to the finish almost. So, you know, he had the wrestling, but we never had to see it showcased. But going up against a guy who's as long and rangy, I know that Nganu and Gan, I believe, are the same height at 6'4". And I also think that they have the same reach. I could be wrong. I think there might be like a one-inch reach advantage on the side of Cyril Gan. But again, you know, I'm not I'm not technically correct here. So if I'm if I'm off by an inch or two, forgive me. But um, you know, I think that we saw the wrestling game of Nganu. And he's never had to pull it out before. But you know why he had to pull it out here? Because he knew that you can't just go toe-to-toe with a guy who's as de- who's as decorated and who's as experienced in the kickboxing and the and the striking arts as Cyril Gunn. Yes, of course, Ngannou's great on the feet. He's gotten a lot better. That's all thanks to Coach Eric Nixick with being able to allow him to be more patient and being able to allow him to, uh, you know, fine-tune his striking and let it kind of come to him. And he made his punches a lot sharper, cleaner, and straighter compared to the loopy shots that he was able to just land and knock out anybody with earlier in his career. But you go into the fight and you learn that Nganu had torn up knees. He he almost had to pull out of the fight. The doctor wanted him to pull out of the fight, but Nganu wanted to go in there and prove a point like, hey, I didn't resign with the UFC yet, but I'm going to go in here and defend my belt and I'm going to make you pay me more money because nobody's going to take this belt from me. And that's exactly what he did here with Gon. I mean, it was a heavy grappling performance. I mean, the first two rounds, they definitely went to Gon, uh, Cyril Gon. I think Gon did enough work in the first two rounds without a doubt. He was landing the jab, landing the crosses. Um, He didn't throw a ton of leg kicks, but, you know, when you think about it, unless you throw, you set it up behind your shots, if you throw a little bit of a smoke screen like a jab or a cross in their face, and then you follow up with those inside and outside low kicks, that's going to make it harder for Nganu to see. But if you throw a lazy kick or throw a kick out there without it getting set up, you're, you're going to line yourself up for one of those missiles in the left or right hand of Francis Ngannou. And that's not something that you want to take your chances with. You want to avoid that at all costs. And Gan was either all the way in 
or all the way out. He was good in the clinch. He did have some good positions up against the cage in the over-unders, in the double-unders, trying to work knees to the body. And um, like I said, all the way out at kicking range or just outside of kicking range, um, stepping in with the jab, stepping in with the crosses, um, you know, being and then stepping all the way in to crowding Ganu and um, avoid the windup that he can generate with those power shots. So all the way in, you're crowding him. You're not going to be at a range or a distance where he can land those brutal power shots. All the way out, you're not going to be at the range that he wants you to be, and he's not much of a kicker, so you're going to be looking to stay on the outside and, you know, attack the inside, attack the outside. Uh, you know, front kicks up the middle, land those high kicks, and then work those crosses, work those switch stance uppercuts, um, switch stance straights that he likes to use, um, stepping back and forward into the opposite stance, a lot of changing angles. But the longer the fight went, Ngannou was able to catch a kick, get an underhook, um, get control of the uh, – I guess it was an over, it was like an underhook underneath the kick as he threw the kick to the head. And then he was able to use that to rotate and turn towards the opposite side, elevate and dump Cyril Gaon with a beautiful slam. He ended up in top position, got in the side control position, and then just used all of his weight to hold Gaon there, control him. Um, whenever Gaon would try to move or get up, he was able to you know, flow with Gon on the on the ground. And I think that's something that impressed people the most with Ngannou's performance is that even though he got the takedown, he didn't just settle in one position. He was able to flow with Gon as Gon tried to, you know, work that Ashigarami game, tried to use that heel hook setup that we saw him, you know, get a win with in his UFC career before. He does have a jujitsu game. And, you know, considering how badly damaged the knees of Francis Ngannou were, towards the end of the fight, I believe in the fifth round, um... Agan did go for that heel hook and almost got it, but Francis was able to sit out, you know, spin out of it, get back on top, and then work from the top position. And um, just the grappling display here and the wrestling of Nganu, I hear a lot of people saying uh, Francis Niganu made off. You know, I think uh, I think Francis Khabib or Khabib 2.0, he definitely has um, he definitely has a new wrinkle to his game that I think he's had for a while, but we've never really gotten the chance to see it. So he kind of built it up in the dark. He built it up over time. And, um, you know, it's something that we got to see here and it's what carried him to the fight, to the win, because if he didn't use his wrestling, if he didn't use that top control, if he didn't use the ground and pound that he was able to generate and controlling from the top position, controlling in the mount, controlling in the half guard, spinning around and taking the back, being able to flow from position to position and not allow Gan to get back up and really use that weight and that power that we know Nganu has, but he used it in a way that we had never seen him use before. And I think that just shows the evolution of Francis Ngannou as a mixed martial artist. It shows the evolution of Ngannou as a champion, and it shows that he's here to stay. I don't really see anybody in that division taking the title away from him. Um, I think that the next logical fight for Ngannou would be, you know, most likely it would be John Jones. I think that that's what the UFC is looking looking towards booking is John Jones versus Francis Ngannou. Um, you know, John Jones has been fighting with his Twitter fingers, but hasn't stepped in the octagon since 2019, I believe, um, at UFC 247 in that very close razor-thin split decision win over Dominic Reyes. But, you know, he, he won the fight close, but he hasn't done anything since then. He hasn't really been around. He's had some 
you know, legal issues, some other stuff going on that we're not really going to get into because we've already covered it on this podcast before. But I think Ngannou versus Jones is the next, next logical fight. It's the biggest fight the UFC can make. I think that Ngannou wins that fight 100%. I think that whoever John Jones fights in his return bout will beat him. I don't see Jones coming back and getting a win at heavyweight. I think Gon would beat him. I think Francis could beat him. Um, I don't think every heavyweight could beat him. I definitely think he could beat somebody like a Derek Lewis. I think he probably could beat a guy like Alexander Volkov, but I do think that's somewhat of a competitive fight, a little bit more competitive than people may be led to believe. Um, but I do think that we're going to get Ngannou versus Jones. I think John Jones versus Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight championship, um, maybe at like a UFC 280, somewhere around there. It's going to be a little while before we get that fight, but I definitely think that's what's next. Um, if not, since Ngannou is you know, going to be out for a while. So I guess 280 would be a little bit too soon. Um, I think it'd probably be closer to 290. So maybe they don't want to wait that long. Maybe you give us John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. I know that's something that um, the UFC fans had wanted to see for a while. I think that's something that Stipe Miocic had campaigned for. And I think that is a competitive fight. I think that's a great matchup. So if Ngannou has to go and get this knee, these knee surgeries done, he's going to be out for 10 to 12 months recovery time. Then you throw an interim title fight in the mix and you do Stipe versus John Jones. And then whoever wins that can fight Ngannou when he comes back. Um, when it comes to Gon, I'm not really sure where he goes from here. Probably one or two more wins and then he can get his way back to a title shot. But only time will tell, to be honest. So, um, yeah, but I think that Ngannou had a great performance. I think that all this drama with Dana White and, you know, him walking out not putting the belt on Ngannou and then him saying that there was some backstage stuff he had to attend to. And he tried to make it back in time like he did for Michael Bisping when Bisping beat Rockhold at UFC. What was that UFC? Ooh, when was when was Bisping and Rockhold uh, number two? It was UFC one. Ooh, I can't remember. Let me look this up. I can't remember the number one. Was it 190? 191? Let's see. I think it was 193. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was 193, wasn't it? No, 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 no. Hold on. When was this? UFC 199. Okay, so, you know, I was I was a little bit off, but yeah, UFC 199 when Bisping finally stepped in on short notice against the champion in Rockhold. It was originally supposed to be Rockhold versus Weidman too. Um, Weidman had to pull out due to an injury, and Bisping came in and shocked the world. Left hook, Larry finally did it. And I know he said that he ran to the cage to be sure he could put the belt on Michael Bisping. He didn't do it here. He said, you know, it was impossible. He was too far away from the cage. He had the backstage stuff to take care of. I don't really know what that means, but I do believe that Dana White was pissed off that Francis Ngannou beat Gone. I think they wanted Ngannou to lose here and then either test free agency or settle for um, a contract worth less money. I definitely think that was, you know, exactly what they wanted and that's not what they got. Um, credit to Ngannou for coming in and putting on a performance and sticking to a game plan that he needed to having a championship mindset, not going in there to knock somebody out, but going in there to win the fight and win it basically decisively. I mean, he, he out wrestled and out grappled Cyril Gan for three out of five rounds. And it was a clear cut three rounds to two or four rounds to one. But I definitely think Gon did enough to edge out the first two rounds because Ngannou just wasn't active enough. So yeah, credit to Ngannou. Most likely Ngannou versus John Jones next. Um, Co-main event, Brandon Moreno versus Davison Figueredo three. Um, we're definitely going to get a fourth fight. I 100% believe we're going to get a fourth fight. Who knows when? But in my opinion, um, Brandon Moreno did enough to retain his belt here. Um, I'm not going to go over round by round, you know, 
in the exchanges. But yes, I do believe that Figueredo did more damage. I think he he you know slipped the jab and came over the top with the overhand right, which dropped Moreno, which I believe that was in the third round. It was either the second or the third. He dropped Moreno, hurt him badly. He stole the round. In a very close round, he got the round. Okay, first round I gave to Figueredo. I think that Figueredo did enough to uh, land in those calf kicks. It was damaging Moreno. You know, it was doing so much damage because he's so heavy with the boxing. He's so heavy off that lead leg, off that lead hand, the left hook, the jab, stepping in, landing the combinations, you know, mixing it up to the body and the head. And you need to be able to push off your lead leg to extend and step into range to land those shots. And when you extend and you're in a boxing stance, your knee is going to be forward. Um, It's not turned out like it might be if you're in a traditional kickboxing tie style stance. And uh, it's going to be harder to check the kick. All your weight's going to be on your lead leg. So as you step forward and push into that jab, you're there for the calf kick. And those calf kicks were working wonders for Figueredo. Yes, he was able to get countered off a few of them. You saw Moreno slip inside and land a left hook. Um, Figueredo landed a beautiful left hook as well on Moreno, which I believe hurt him for a second time in the fight. Um, it wasn't really a knockoff balance. It was more of a drop. I think he countered the jab of Moreno with a left hook, hurt him, and he was stumbling around the cage. But I thought that Moreno did enough. I thought that he picked it up. I thought he picked it up in the third, fourth, and fifth. I thought that he was able to get that takedown at the end of the fifth round, you know. Or, it, you know, I don't know if it was the fifth, but he was able to get that body lock takedown, which we talked about in the previous in the pre-fight breakdown. We talked about it in the lead-up to his last fight with Figueredo where he got that uh, rear naked choke submission. He's able to get those dead trip takedown. He was able to work from the top position. He wasn't able to hold the position for long, but Figueredo wasn't active enough in my opinion. He started out strong. He did a lot, but I thought that Moreno edged him out based on activity. And yes, I know Moreno didn't drop Figueredo, so you're like, oh, well, Figueredo dropped Moreno twice technically. He hurt him more. He had the bigger moments. Yeah, and I get it, and you know, I don't think you're wrong there. It's definitely not wrong. He did slip the jab and land a beautiful overhand, landed some good left hooks, but I still believe that Moreno did enough based on activity. I just think that Figueredo wasn't active enough to get three rounds out of the five. I think it definitely wasn't a four round to one for Moreno. I, I don't think it was a, it was a, you know, complete robbery, but I do believe that Moreno did enough to win. I think his, his activity, his combinations, you know, Figueredo would throw one big power shot or two shots and Moreno would come back with a one, two, three, come back with a two or three punch combo, um, you know, get in the face, land the jab over and over and over again, you know, land the combinations. He just landed more punches. He had more activity. He was pushing the pace more. He had that championship pace. Um, I do think it was a very, very close fight. I would not have minded if the fight got scored a draw. You know, but I do not believe that Figueredo did enough to win that title. I do not think he did enough to reclaim his belt. I think it was close. Maybe later on down the line, I can do a, a more in-depth analysis. If that's something you guys would like, um, I wouldn't mind doing that. I think it would be fun to break down that fight. It was a great fight, definitely a one fight of the night. But I don't think that Figueredo did enough to claim. You know, they always say you have to take the belt from the champion. You know, that's kind of a an idiotic statement because like if you win three rounds out of five and it's close, you still did enough to win, but uh, it's, it's just the, the ideology. Like you have to take it from the, from the champ. And even though it's kind of a stupid thing to say, it's, it's been true in a lot of the, you know, over the years in professional mixed martial arts in boxing in anything, you have to take it from the champion. And I don't believe that Figueredo did enough. Yes. He had the bigger moments, but I believe that Moreno had more moments and more consistency and more activity over 25 minutes. And that is why I believe he definitely did enough to win three out of the five rounds and did enough to retain his belt. 
But now you got it. One win for Figueredo, one win for Moreno, and a draw. Um, you've got Askar Askarov going up against Kaikar France in uh, March, I believe. So the winner of that fight would most likely get a title shot. But I believe they're going to run back the fourth fight. Um, I could see them postponing the fourth fight, giving Moreno another fight with somebody else. Um, maybe a rematch with Brandon Royval, considering that that first fight kind of ended controversially. And, um, you know, Royval just came off of a big win in his last fight over Rogerio Bonterin. So I could definitely see that possibly being, you know, an avenue that they take. And then you do whoever wins Kaikar France versus Askar Askarov versus Davison Figueredo for the flyweight championship next. But I do believe we're going to get a fourth fight. I definitely think it's warranted. I mean, it's one, one and one. Somebody has to go over here. Um, what would the, what would the odds be if it was another draw in the fourth fight? Then we would just have to move on from it because there would be no point. You can't run five fights with the same people over and over and over again. But um, yeah, I mean, Figueredo is your new UFC flyweight champion. Um, you know, you can't change the decision. The decision is what the decision is. And I'm not mad that he won. I'm definitely not angry, but I do not think he did enough to reclaim his belt. And I definitely think that the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno, I've already explained it, more activity. Um, he had more moments. I think the bigger moments went to Figueredo, but I don't think he had enough over 25 minutes to get that decision. Yes, it was very close. I'm not pissed off that Figueredo won because, like, yeah, it was a close fight, but I definitely think Moreno did enough to uh, have kept his belt there. But it is what it is, so we'll see what happens next. All right, let's continue down the card. Um, we had a great fight between Ale, uh, not Ale Chandre. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait, no, no. Why can I not think of his name? There we go, Michelle Pereira. Man, I was thinking of Ale Chandre Pantoja with all that flyweight talk. Michelle Pereira beats Andre Fialho via decision. I believe it was 30-27, potentially 29-28. Um, I'm not going to go too much into detail with this fight, but it was a great fight. You know, Fialo came to came to fight, man. He put the pressure on Pereira. He was trying to land big shots, push forward. But Pereira was just too good at range and too good at distance. I think something you've seen with Michelle Pereira over the last four or five, three, four or five fights in his UFC career is that he's learned to dial his, his strengths back and use them at a smarter pace, which, which in turn makes them stronger because they can last longer throughout 15 minutes. When he would come in originally, it was exploding with Superman punches, flying knees, flying knees into crosses. Like he landed on hot chocolate, Danny Roberts. I mean, he, he would just come in and explode. And like, yes, he did that in this fight as well at certain points, but, um, he was able to dial it back a little bit. He was able to use that lateral movement and move around the cage and land the jabs, land the crosses, you know, land those front kicks to the body. The body work, I think, was the best from Michelle Panetta in this fight. And then I believe he came into the second round and opened up with a flying knee into a cross, into another flying knee, into a high kick. Like, he just came out of the gate and hurt Fialho and pushed forward, got him up against the cage. Um, he didn't. He wasn't able to do too much in the clinch positions in the over-under. I think that's where Fialho probably had his best moments. He was able to push Pereira back a little bit and land some good combinations. He was definitely probably the, the slicker boxer, but I think just the overall, the amount of weapons that Pereira had, he was able to use them and pick him apart as the, the fight went on, you know, landing those front kicks to the body, the jabs, the crosses, the left hooks to the body, the, the flying knees into the right hands, breaking off the clinch, the one twos, a lot of, a lot of, a lot more elusive and light on the feet um, was Michelle Pereira. And I think that's really what carried him to get the decision victory here, but it was a close fight. It was a good fight. 
Um, Fialho landed some bombs. He was in there. He was durable. He was, he was, you know, lasting throughout the entirety of the 15 minutes, even though he got hit with some brutal shots and, um, he was still coming forward. So this guy's a good fighter. He he's formerly fought in the PFL Bellator, a couple other organizations as well. And I think he's here to stay in the UFC. I'm interested to see where Fialho goes next, but, um, Pereira got the decision here and, uh, yeah, he's on a four fight win streak now, I believe in the UFC. Let's check. It's either three. Or four. So he beat Fialho, beat Nico Price, beat uh, Chaos Williams, then beat Salimi Madaev. So yeah, he's on a four-fight win streak since September of 2020 at UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Sakai. So wins over Chaos Williams, Salimi Madaev, Nico Price, and... Uh, one more. I don't know why it's not in here, but his last loss was to Diego Sanchez, funnily enough. But it'll be interesting to see where Pereira goes from here. He's going to be ranked. So in my opinion, I think he'll be ranked or just right outside the rankings. So we'll see. But that was a great fight. Great 15 minutes. They went back and forth. Um, Fialho showed heart. He went to war, but Pereira was just too quick and too slick for him on this night. So up next, we had Saeed Nurmagomedov come in and make quick work of Cody Stamen in the first round. Huge statement. Um, a little bit of a, uh, you know, Saeed came out and just was throwing those wild kicks, spinning back kicks to the body, um, spinning hook kick to the head, roundhouse kicks, front kicks to the body, spinning back kick landed right on the stomach of Cody Stamen and hurt him bad. Stamen shot, a, shot a, a sloppy takedown. He got his neck caught up. Saeed locked up a front choke, but he locked it up with a guillotine style, or I'm sorry, a rear naked choke style of grip. So it was more like almost if you could imagine a Darcer or a, an Anaconda choke, but without the arm in. And then you use it, you push their head up against your chest, and you squeeze like a rear naked choke grip. And then um, they have to would have to break that figure four and then get out of the choke. But he locked it up. He pulled back, you know, and I mean, right as that choke was in, Stamen was tapping. It was brutal. It was quick. It was tight. Um, phenomenal choke there from Saeed Nurmagomedov. And what a statement he made. I mean, coming in and beating a, a UFC veteran like Cody Stamen, who has fought the quote unquote, you know, current UFC bantamweight champion in Aljamain Sterling. He's fought Jimmy Rivera. He's fought some of the biggest names in the sport and to come in and dominate him like that. That just shows how good Saeed Nurmagomedov is. Yeah, he lost his UFC debut to uh, Ione Barcelos, but this was the statement and a statement that he needed to make. So very good win for him here. Quick submission in the first round. Like I said, um, if you think of a guillotine choke, normally it's a gable grip, which is like that palm to palm, or you can lock it up with a S grip. But with this choke, it was uh, getting a hold of the head and the arm. Almost like you could pull it down to lock up, like I said, a Darce or an Anaconda from the opposite side. He locked it up like an, a Darce choke, I believe. Uh, or no, he locked it up like an Anaconda, went the head and arm, went underneath, grabbed the bicep in a figure four, and then he put the other hand um, over by his ear, and he pushed his uh, Cody Stamen's head into his chest, pushed down, and then pulled up with the choke grip and got the tap immediately. So quick submission victory and very impressive for Nurmagomedov. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes next. Definitely a ranked opponent. Um, if I had to guess, I could see maybe Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Victor Henry, who we're going to talk about very soon. I think Victor Henry and Saeed could definitely be next. I mean, they fought on the same card. Um, here, let's see. 
So he wasn't ranked. Okay, so uh, Cody Stamen was not ranked. He was outside the ranking. So I'm guessing uh, Saeed will get a top 15 opponent next. Uh, potentially a Rafaela Sunsau. Maybe a Ricky Simone. Simone's coming off that victory over um, Rafael Sunsau. Yeah, he just beat a Sunsau. So I could see Simone versus uh, Saeed. I could see uh, Saeed versus Victor Henry, who defeated Hyoni Barcelos, which, like I said, we're going to talk about shortly. So, yeah, but either way, very impressive from Saeed Nurmagomedov, and it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, up next, Michael Morales uh, survives adversity in the first round after he got dropped with a brutal left hand by Trevin Giles. Giles poured it on what looked to get the finish. Um, you know, Michael Morales was able to come back and land a beautiful right hand, or I believe it was a left straight of his own, hurts Trevin Giles, drops him, gets on top of him, Goes for the finish, can't get the finish. Giles survives. Giles goes to get up and circle along the fence. He gets hit with another left hand drop, just falls like he got, you know, hit by a sniper. He goes down and he gets jumped on and finished in the first round. At the end of the first round, um, su surviving adversity, almost got caught in a couple submissions, did Michael Morales by Trevin Giles. Giles was looking to lock up uh, in a uh, leg lock, and then I believe he looked to lock up a triangle as well, but he was able to get out of it and uh, work his way back up to the feet, and just the straight punches of uh, of Michael Morales. And then I believe he caught him with like a left hook, stepping in, hurt him, who caught him with an uppercut, boom, boom, a quick combination. Giles kind of dropped. He kind of shot a takedown at the same time. Morales jumped on him, boom, 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 landing ground and pound, spin to the back, land the ground and pound. Giles gets back up, tries to circle, but he kind of runs away against the cage. Boom, gets caught with another left hand, dropped and finished. So, Big win for Michael Morales. That's two back-to-back -back losses now for Trevin Giles. This loss, and then I believe his last fight, he had that uh, knockout loss to uh, Drakus Duplessis. So, you know, two back-to-back -back losses for Trevin Giles. Still a great fighter, still a good athlete, but I don't really know what's next for him. I don't know who he's going to get next. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he lost via KO, 4 minutes, 6 seconds in the first round against Morales. Yeah, lost to Drickus Duplessis. Before that, he had a decision victory over Roman Delidze. He had a knockout victory over Bevon Lewis. He had a decision victory over James Krause, which I believe that was pretty controversial, if I remember correctly. Um, he lost via submission to Gerald Mearshart and then lost via submission to Zach Cummings. But overall, he is 14-4, and four, so not a terrible record. But coming off two back-to-back -back losses and two back-to-back -back knockout losses, um, he needs a win and probably needs it the most out of anywhere in his career. I like Giles. He's good all around. He's a good all-around fighter. Mainly fights out of a boxing style, kind of that Philly shell, um, shoulder-rolled style of defense and just kind of hands down low. Very slick striker, but more of that boxing-heavy base than a kicker. But we'll see what's next for him. I do like him. I think he's definitely a good competitor, but... You know, he lost here. Morales got the victory. He's now 13-0, undefeated. Um, a knockout over a guy like Trevin Giles, who has had that experience in the UFC, is uh, a big win for him. So it'll be interesting to see who he gets next. But, yeah, um, let's go to the next fight I wanted to talk about, which was, uh, here we go. This is what I wanted to talk about. La Mangosta, Victor Henry, Styles on Howney Barcelos in a back-and-forth battle for 15 minutes and gets the 30-27 unanimous decision. Um, all I got to say is 
Did I tell? What did I say? I told you so, huh? How many people picked Victor Henry to defeat Hione Barcelos? I think I might have heard one other person on these on these podcasts, on these YouTube channels, on these predictions, pick Victor Henry. Maybe one or two. He wasn't a very highly sought after fighter for this fight. It was on short notice. A lot of people thought that Barcelos was just too experienced, too slick. He had the way better striking, was just the way better overall all-around fighter. And uh, Victor Henry came in here and showed you why I believe why I gave him so much praise on this podcast in the pre-fight breakdown. This guy is just so loose. He's so relaxed. He's so calm in there. And against a guy who's as explosive, who's as fast twitch muscle fiber based as a guy like Barcelos, who reminds me a little bit of a hybrid between the prime Jose Aldo and uh, Edson Barbosa. They, he reminds me he reminds me of them combined into one fighter. I mean, I don't think he's as talented as both of those guys, but I do think he has the weapons to be as talented as either of them. And I know Barcelos came in off that last loss to uh, Timor Valiev, and a lot of people just thought he was going to come in here and make quick work. Yeah, he has a win over Saeed Nurmagomedov, which we talked about in the pre-fight breakdown as well. But Victor Henry is, I mean, he came in here and just styled on Barcelos. I'm not saying it was dominant because Barcelos did have some moments in the fight um, he landed a lot of slip uppercuts, slip encounter with the uppercut up the middle, slip to the inside of the jab, land the uppercut, come over the top, land some good one-twos. He landed some good combinations, but the best weapon from Barcelos, which we've seen in multiple fights before, is that uppercut. He's so good at pulling, slipping, encountering with the uppercut, pull back counter with the uppercut. The counter uppercut is the best weapon from a guy like Barcelos. But when Barcelos gets put on the back foot, when Barcelos falls to activity, that is when he can't seem to come back. And that is what Victor Henry did. He got in his face for 15 minutes. Yeah, he got hit with some good shots, but he was also very evasive. He liked to switch stances, change his angle. Um, there was a point where he threw a switch stance straight left, which circled him right into the right side of Barcelos to throw a high kick. Barcelos threw a beautiful high kick, but Victor Henry switched back off to his left side and pivoted out on an angle. So he, he, he darted in with that switch jab and then stepped back to the opposite side and pivoted off on the opposite angle to avoid the high kick. I mean, it's a lot of slips, a lot of pivots, a lot of hands down low, but he sees the shots coming. He's very aware. He has good eyes, and I think that's something that you get when you've got 26 fights. Barcelos came into this fight 18 fights, Victor Henry 26. That's eight fights. That's a big deal in professional mixed martial arts. And Victor Henry has experience all over the world, like I said, in Ryzen and a bunch of other organizations that I mentioned on the pre-fight breakdown. He's been all over. He's been a highly touted prospect for years, and he came in here, stepped in on short notice, and put a show on for the fans. This was definitely your fight of the night, in my opinion. I think, uh, you know, fight of the night on the prelims again, which just shows to show you, you have to watch the prelims. I don't care who you are. Some of the best fights for cards take place on the prelims prior to the pay-per-view. So, um, yeah, but Victor Henry just looked great. I mean, and it was just his activity. It was his calmness. He was a lot more calm than Barcelos. Barcelos seemed to be reacting more than executing. And I think that's really what played the difference here. It was a lot of reaction from Barcelos trying to counter the uh, one-twos, counter the switch straights, counter the quick combinations, just the pop-pop, 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 land in a high kick, switch stance, left body kick, boom, 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 slip off the center line, land a left body kick, switch back to orthodox, one-two, left hook, switch back, straight left, right hook, slip off the center line. It was a lot of just mixing up the combinations. You know, once he landed those combinations, boom, 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 getting in the face of Barcelos, cutting them off with those angles, 
tying him up in the over-under position, landing knees to the body, landing some elbows, getting the tie plum, knees, knees, elbows, boom, boom, boom. He was very good at tracking Barcelos' movement and always being where Barcelos was going to be. That's one of the best. That's one of the things you can tell with some of the best strikers in the sport. And I'm not calling Victor Henry one of the best strikers in MMA, but this guy is good. He's very intelligent. He has a high fight IQ. And I think that's something you saw in this fight with Barcelos. He's a lot of slipping off the center line. But what, what Peter Jan was able to do with Corey Sandhagen was he was able to track the lateral movement and track the circling and track the retracting movement of Barcel or, or of uh, Sandhagen and have him walk into combinations and really never be out of the line of fire because he was able to change his angle. He was able to cut him off up against the cage. Just slight quick steps, quick pivots, quick movements to trap the opponent where he wanted you to be so you could move into the intended power shot when you think you're circling away from where you believe the power is going to be. The best strikers in the world are also the best illusionists in that cage. They make you believe something is going to come from one angle and you move into the trap where they want you to go. So maybe I throw a jab and a jab. And you see that every time I throw my jab, maybe I'm kind of dropping my rear hand. Boom, boom. But I see that every time you slip my jab, you're slipping to the outside. So now I slip, I throw the jab, I throw the jab. I fake the right hand to get you to circle towards that jab, which you're going to slip to the outside of. But as I do that, I switch my stance into southpaw and land that pot shot straight left. I dart in with the straight left. So jab, Boom, jab, you're slipping to the outside, fake the right hand, boom, switch jab, switching to southpaw, cut off on the angle, boom, now I'm back in the original stance, you're circling back towards my power, bop, 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 that's what Victor Henry was doing, and that's what got him the decision that he earned and gave him one of the best and most impressive debuts on short notice in the history of the UFC. I'll go out and say it. That's one of the best debuts you'll see coming in on short notice. I know he had a lot of experience, but still, to do that against a guy like Barcelos, who's as highly touted in the MMA community as Barcelos, that speaks volumes about just how good Victor Henry can be. Um, I expect him to get get a ranked opponent next. Um, I think that, like I said, I think Barcelos going up against a Ricky, or I'm sorry, not Barcelos. I think that... Um, you know, Victor Henry going up against potentially a Ricky Simone. I think Victor Henry going up against, well, you got to give him someone close to the top 15, maybe Victor Henry and Sean O'Malley, I could see, but I think they're going to try to give Sean O'Malley somebody a little bit higher ranked. Um, Victor Henry versus Song Yadong. I like that one. I'm going to go with that one. I don't know if Song Yadong has a fight booked currently, but I think Song Yadong versus Victor Henry is the next fight to make at 135. Song Yadong is ranked in the top 15. Victor Henry's going to get a ranked opponent, I believe. Maybe he'll get one more fight before a ranked opponent, but I think Song Yidong versus Victor Henry for Victor Henry's second fight in the UFC is definitely a way to go. But shout out to Victor Henry and shout out to proving me right to all the doubters on this podcast. So hopefully I can get him on an interview. I did shoot him a message, but I haven't heard anything back. So we'll see what goes down in the future. Let's see. Does Song Yidong have a fight booked? Yes, he does. Okay, so Song Yedong and Marlon Morice is booked for March 12th, UFC Fight Night. Amazing fight. Phenomenal. This is going to be an amazing fight. I forgot about this one, so I'm really excited. Um, I think give Victor Henry the winner of this fight. So whoever wins Song Yedong versus Marlon Morice on March 12th, give him to Victor Henry. So you get the winner of Song Yedong versus Marlon Morice on uh, UFC Fight Night on March 12th. So that's what I believe should be next for La Mangosta, Victor Henry.